chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we're going to be doing verses 21 through 43. Uh, before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for uh, your goodness to us. We thank you uh, for your intimate work in our lives. How you know us each and how you speak to us and direct us and guide us. I pray this morning that your word would be opened, that you would be exalted, and that we would leave here um, worshiping and glorifying you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think you'll see uh, this morning that um, God has a funny way of orchestrating things that um, we had no hand in. Um, I did not know Jeanette was going to be sharing this morning, and her story fits with um, the topic 100%. Um, Just a really, really uh, amazing story from her. I have uh, thoroughly been enjoying our series on Mark. Um, it has been it has been a breath of fresh air in teaching and in, in word for me. And um, I am just really grateful for the pastor that we have and the people that could bring the word. It's just been a a blessing. Abby and I were gone two weeks ago, um, and I didn't get a chance to hear the teaching. And so I'm going to put a shameless plug-in for uh, the website. Um, On our website, uh, mountaintopgrace.com, you can get all the past sermons. So if you're not familiar with that, um, or if you don't use it, please do so. It's it's a great resource. But anyway, I... um, What'd I say? I I did say .com, didn't I? mountaintopgrace.org. So anyway, we didn't get the chance to hear the teaching uh, two weeks ago, and so I went back and listened to it. Um, And I have to say that I think it fits in with um, today's sermon well as well, um, as well as last sermon. So if you weren't here last week, you should get on there and hear what Daniel had to say about the man, demon-possessed man, um, because I will reference some of that this week. Uh, The last two weeks, we've been going over some of the stories about Jesus being Lord. Lord over the created world, Lord over the spiritual world, and today, Lord over sickness and even death. Two weeks ago, Randy talked about the question that his disciples asked of Jesus while they were almost drowning in a boat. Don't you care? Disciples are doing absolutely everything they can think of to save themselves, and I've been there. I have said exactly the same thing. I'm about to go down here, and you're sleeping in the back of the boat. Wake up. Don't you care? The question is one that I have asked and struggled with. Today we are going to look at, the, at a section of scripture that gives us two examples of Jesus' intimate connection with individuals. And just a side note here this morning, um, if you're struggling with that question, please come and see me. 
I know there are others who have had the same question in this church. And there are those who can speak to your struggle and listen and understand your pain. Let's look at the passage. So we're going to start, we're going to read Mark uh, chapter 5, starting at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the, to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he, was, while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her. Put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed in around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. And yet grew worse instead of getting better. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone from him, out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see, the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came, to the, came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus said, told him, do not be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her hand and said to her, Talitha, kum which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the little girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Pretty amazing stories. 
So we're going to go back through this. We're going to go basically verse by verse or a small group of verses. We're just going to pull out some stuff that, that stuck out to me as I was studying. So verse 21 says they, they crossed back over um, by boat to the other side of the lake. And there's a crowd there. Um, or a crowd gathers as they get back there. So where was he? He, he had just been over on the other side of the sea, right? And he had just healed a demon-possessed man. And the, um, there's a stark contrast from the last week, right? Jesus led his disciples across the lake and through a storm to reach one person and be rejected by the rest. Here, um, so they got back, they have to go back through the same waters that they, ne- they nearly claimed their lives. And think about this. Here are the disciples just a few hours or days, hours or days ago uh, were afraid and thought they would die. Go back exactly through the same place. The same place where Jesus has just displayed his lordship over his creation. Scolding it like a, like a little child who has become rowdy. I am sure that there were disciples still unable to comprehend exactly what they had experienced just a few hours ago. Anyhow, they arrive uh, back on the other side of the lake and just that they have just left, and in no time there's a crowd. People want to be around him. On the other side, they don't want him. On this side, they want to be around him. Verse 22, um, there's some pretty odd behavior. Um, one of the synagogue leaders, we're told that um, his name is Jairus, and he's a high position. He is, high, uh, he is in a high, man of high position and standing, and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. He's a leader in the church. I thought, what must, what must this action have cost him socially? What about those people that he works with every day? None of that matters to him. None of it matters to him. Why? We're told in verse 23 that his little daughter, and in Luke it says his only daughter, is sick. I have two daughters. So I can relate to this man. When Isabella was six months, nine months, a year, I can't remember exactly which, um, she had a extremely high fever. Extremely high fever. And we didn't exactly know what to do with her. Um, we tried a lot of different things to bring her temperature down. But I, I, I would have done anything to make sure she was safe. So for this man, Jarius, um, you know, take his daughter to a doctor or physician. Yes, do that. Try to get her some medicine. Yes, do that. But throw himself at the feet of an itinerant preacher. 
And I asked myself, would I have done that? Yes, yes, I would have, if that would help. So he's pleading, pleading with Jesus, come, come, please come and heal my daughter. Right? He's pleading with him. Contrast this to verse 17 from last week. And the people are doing what? Pleading with him again, but to leave. So you have this very unique contrast between what he just experienced and here we have Jarius pleading, come, come, I need you. And I love, um, I love verse 24, the first part of it, and, and it just simply says, so Jesus went with him. No excuses, no complaints, no nothing. So he went. But wasn't there more important things to be doing? Wasn't there others that were gathered around him currently that needed his help? Didn't he have more teaching to do on the lake? In, um, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, he's answering a question from John's disciples um, about fasting and, and when Jairus shows up. So he's, he's, he's answering questions, and he's teaching, and he's healing, and, he's, and this man comes. Isn't all that other stuff important? What's so special about Jairus that warrants his attention? I, wanna, I would suggest that... Um, a clue to this might be found in his plead. And his plead is in verse 24. No, I'm sorry. It's in verse 23. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. His faith and hope are placed firmly in Jesus' abilities. He hasn't just seen him calm the storm with a word. He hasn't seen him cast out the demons across the sea. He doesn't have any of that evidence, and yet he believes. This Jesus has the power to heal and give life. He has left his only daughter, who is very sick, to seek out the only, want, the only way she can live, which is Jesus. And Jesus drops everything that he is doing and goes. He does care. Second part of verse 24 says, um, a large crowd follows and presses in on all sides of him. And there's just people everywhere. There's people everywhere. Um, I remember being at a concert one time, and uh, somehow I got too close to the front. Um, and it was uh, a rather rowdy concert, and they had what we would call a mosh pit in the front. Okay. You can't help but touch everybody in the front of a concert. There's just there's motions and movement, and, and you're just bumping into everybody. Their sweat's on you. Your sweat's on them. It's wonderful. 
or horrible, depending on who you are. And that's kind of what's going on here. I imagine it's probably pretty hot. There's people that are walking through the town or wherever it is, and there's people bumping into him, and there's just, there's just people everywhere. And now the story shifts in verse 26. The story shifts from Jarius, and it says, A woman was there. Twelve years of bleeding had been her life. Twelve years she had suffered from bleeding. Think of the toll that would have taken on your body. The Bible goes into details about the problems that this has caused her. She is sick. She is weak. She is frail. By nature of her sickness, she is an outcast. She's unclean. She's untouchable. I read some of the remedies that were, would have been prescribed by the physicians for her. Um, many of which were totally pointless. Many of which were adding things to wine and having her drink them. And the text says that she has suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She has spent all that she has and most likely is not in a position to support her own existence. Socially, physically, and financially, she is ruined. But Jesus happens to be in the area. But because of the nature of her illness, she can't pull a Jarius and fall at the feet and beg for healing. Or she doesn't want to. If I was her, my thoughts might have gone something like this. I don't want to make it public. I don't want anyone to know what I'm dealing with. If people knew what I was going through, dot, dot, dot. So she hatches a plan. If I can just touch his clothes. She has most likely been told she can't touch anyone. Or they, will, or they too will become unclean as well. So rationally thinking, if she just brushes his clothes, she hasn't technically touched him. And therefore, no blood, no foul. Pardon that pun. Furthermore, her, her issue is personal in nature. It's a lot easier to come to church and share your needs with others when they aren't personal. You know, my sister's mother-in-law's aunt is, is really struggling with depression. That's easy. But something that's a lot harder to say is, I'm really struggling with depression. I really need my church body's help and prayer. One of the greatest lies the devil convinces us is that we have to do it ourselves. Or that we alone are the only people who struggle with a particular issue. Verses 27 and 28. So she, she puts this plan into action. With the crowd all around him, and I'm not really sure how she accomplishes this, but she goes up behind him and she touches his cloak. Think about it. She just goes up and, and touches him. 
Verses 29, verse 29 says, immediately she knew. Immediately. Immediately she knew. It's a continued theme in, in Mark's gospel, but the, the, the immediately, immediately. And immediately she knew. Whatever the cause for the bleeding, she knew she was healed. And it seems like there must have been some sort of constant pain with this, or maybe she could just tell. But whatever the reason, she knew immediately that it had worked. And the text says she was freed from her suffering. The next couple verses are, um, to me, rather humorous. Um, and Jesus says in verse 30, at once he had realized that power had gone out, and he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who, t- who touched my clothes? And his disciples... <laughs> It's like, what? what? Wait, duh. Um, like everybody. The disciples answer his question, but Jesus isn't looking for an answer. He's looking for a person. He's not looking for an answer. He's looking for a person. Where is the person who came to me in faith and received healing but doesn't want anyone to know what they have done for them? He is not concerned about social norms or personal issues. He's concerned about the woman, the person. He cares. Your body was healed. Now let's heal you. Let's address the unspoken hurts. Let's address the fears you have. Let's bring you into a right relationship with God. The physical healing was the easy part. Now let's heal your other needs. And when she realizes that she's not going to be able to, to, to sneak away, she comes. Verse 33. And this time, just like Jarius, falls at his feet. She tells him everything. And she is changed. She received the physical healing she desired, but, but what Jesus gave her in addition is far greater. Yesterday we were at a, uh, a swim meet, and one of the practices of parents, or uh, of, well, I, normally it's parents, but is you write in magic marker on the back shoulder of the swimmer their name. Um, so that judges and officials and coaches and parents and whoever can tell who the swimmer is. And as I got done writing on Isabella's shoulder, Yoder, I said something like, that's a good name. That's my name. I gave you that name. You're mine. 
she's my daughter. And Jesus says, what does he say to her? Verse 34, he says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He calls her daughter, giving her his name, and spiritually she is healed as well. She has been given peace and freedom from 12 years of pain and suffering. He cares. In verse 34, he he contributes her healing to her faith. And my brain says to me, were there not others in the crowd that had faith and bumped into Jesus too? Why don't we have more stories like this? And that I don't have an answer. But this I do know. Jesus is personal. And he knows what each of us need. Sometimes he leads us into the storm to the point of destruction in order to change us. Sometimes he brings you to a place where the crowds don't matter anymore. You fall at his feet and beg for his help. And sometimes he heals you by a passing touch. The point is that he cares. At this point, verse 35 um, in the narrative, the story turns back to to Jairus. Let's just read verse 35. We've just, witnessed, we've just witnessed this healing of the woman. And the next scene is, is verse 35. And it says, while, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Talk about a kick in the gut. Um, why bother the teacher anymore? What, what's implied here? What's that? All hope is gone. What else is? What else? Yeah, they're troubling him. Yep. What else? Yeah, yeah, probably could be, Mike. Yeah, it's really, you know, he shouldn't have stopped, right? Shouldn't have stopped. If he, if he hadn't stopped, maybe there would have been time. Death is final. There's, there's, there's no return. It's, it's, maybe while she's sick, there's hope. But once she's dead, she, she dead. The implication is that Jesus can help those who are sick. But there's a point at which he can't help. There's death. And she's dead, so he can't help you anymore. Don't bother him. 
it's too late. The thing is, they don't know who they're talking to or about. This Jesus, the creator of all things, who spoke into existence the sun and the moon, who separated the waters from the land, who breathed into Adam the breath of life, who just a few hours ago spoke to the wind and the waves in the storm, calm down. And they listened. This, is, this Jesus is not afraid of death because he holds the power over death. In fact, he is the giver of life, the conqueror of death, creator God. And his response to overhearing this in verse 36 is, is a twofold command. It's twofold. 36, don't be afraid, just believe. Easy to say, hard to live. Easy to say, hard to live. When the doctor's report is cancer, don't be afraid, just believe. When divorce is looming, don't be afraid, just believe. When you finish school and you have no idea what to do with your life, don't be afraid. Just believe. When your friends come and tell you your daughter is dead, don't be afraid. Just believe. But why? Because Jesus cares about the person. Verse 37, no one can follow except Peter, James, and John. I'm not quite sure how he accomplished this. Um, you know, I'm sure he said go away or something like that, but it's Probably not that simple to get away from a large crowd. But anyway, no one's allowed to follow him. Peter, James, and John, you can come. You get to witness this. That's it. In 38 and 40, he comes upon the scene at Jairus' house of these professional mourners um, displaying an outward sign of an inward pain. The wailing and crying. It's, it's a... It's a um, if you've ever heard anything on a movie or, or had any experience in the, in the East um, about the mourners. It's, it's, a, it's a racket. It's just lots of noise. And it's totally unnecessary in this case. She's not dead, she's just sleeping. These guys aren't stupid. They're professional mourners. They know when their client is dead. So they laugh. And only a few get to witness Creator God giving life again. Verse 41 says, 
A simple touch, a gentle word is all it takes. Notice the tenderness of Jesus, his personal touch. There's no fanfare, there's no incantation, just a spoken word. And in verse 42, again, immediately we see, immediately we see her get up. And she begins to walk around, and we're told that she was 12. I'm not sure exactly why. Um, maybe to contrast it with a woman who had just suffered 12 years. To say that it isn't how much you have suffered or who you are that determines his care. You may have, really, may have had a really easy life. Or you may have had a really hard life. But he cares. And in verse 43, we see the two commands that he typically gives when something amazing like this happens. Well, we see a command. There's two commands. We see a command that he typically gives and another one. Um, don't tell anybody about this. It, 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 that baffles me every time I hear it. Um, but Jesus knows what he's doing. And then after um, you see him give the command to give her something to eat, and, and I got to thinking, well, why would he do that? You know, that seems kind of trite. You know, but the people that were with her had just gone through trauma. They had just gone through an amazing experience. They had just seen incredible things. And, and the little details of life somehow seemed to get lost during those times. And so the reminder... She needs food. Give her something to eat. Let me close by giving you three things for us to take away this morning that I hope we take away from this. First, I would like you to take away the focus that, of his focus and attention to the individual. Jesus is so personal. Throughout the last couple of chapters, we have been seeing Jesus have these one-on-one -on -one encounters. The one man in the tomb, the one woman in the crowd, the father who pleads to get Jesus to come. to leave the crowd and to save his little girl. The little girl herself. He is intimately connected with you and I, individually. He is the savior of the world. But just as importantly, he is my savior and yours. The second thing is like the first. It is simply the fact that he cares. He cares. If you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself the same thing that I have said and that the disciples have asked him in the boat, don't you care? I hope that these encounters remind you that he does care. He cares about the man across the sea, plagued by demons, 
And he cares about the daddy who wants his little girl to be healed, to be healthy. He cares about the outcast woman who needs healing both physically and spiritually. And he cares about the little girl. He cares about you, your hurts, your pain, and your sickness. The third thing is, what do we do when the healing doesn't come? The examples this morning have all been about people who have had problems, and Jesus has fixed it. What do we do when we pray for healing and it doesn't come? So this morning, as a closing song, we're going to listen to Even If by Cutlass. Please listen to the words. Doesn't come. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you are God and you are good. You are forever faithful. You are our healer and our savior. We praise you for who you are. In the name of Jesus, amen.